Good morning. Open your Bibles with me, please, to Luke, the 24th chapter. Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at verses 13 through 35 today, commonly referred to as the road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus. The scene that we're looking at is the second of four scenes in chapter 24 written by Luke to clearly declare that Jesus Christ is resurrected, literally, physically resurrected out from among the dead. So the primary purpose of the passage is to affirm the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was dead and buried, now he is alive. The passage also serves to instruct us on how the resurrected Christ relates to his people as the good shepherd on this side of the cross. This passage this morning will teach us that Christ initiates the relationship with his people and then he draws near and walks with us and maintains that relationship. The passage verifies for us that men in their natural condition cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. The text confirms for us this morning the necessity for God in His sovereign grace to grant spiritual life. And it affirms, it affirms the person and work of Christ is found throughout the Old Testament, in the law, in the Psalms, in the wisdom, in the prophets. And the text this morning establishes Christ-centered, systematic, expositional preaching and teaching of God's Word. And it indicates the right response of those to whom God does grant spiritual life and spiritual light. Beginning in verse 13 of Luke chapter 24, the Word of God says, it's going to speak of that very day. It's speaking of Resurrection Sunday morning here. The Word says, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. And He said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God. May he bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we come before you now. We pray, Father, that you would give us the grace to submit ourselves to the authority of the Word of God. Father, I pray that, uh, that your Spirit would be present, that He would empower the preaching this morning. Father, that you would keep me from error, that you would give us ears to hear. Father, we pray this for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the good of the souls of His sheep. Amen. It's a relatively simple sermon this morning, and I have three points. First point is this, Jesus is alive. The first point is, Jesus is alive. The second point is this, Jesus is the resurrected shepherd of his people. And the third point will be this, the reasonable response of the shepherd's people. The first point, Jesus is alive. The Word of God affirms that the resurrected Lord Jesus was seen on Resurrection Sunday by Mary Magdalene, in other women near the tomb, by Cleopas and another disciple on the road to Emmaus. He was seen by Peter in Jerusalem and ten disciples in the upper room, all on Resurrection Sunday. The following Sunday, he was seen by eleven disciples in the upper room. Sometime later, he was seen by the seven disciples fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and then he appeared to the eleven disciples on a mountain in Galilee. Later, he was seen by upwards of 500 people at one time, according to the Apostle Paul, who said, many of whom are still alive to this day. He was seen by James. And then 40 days after the resurrection, his disciples witnessed his ascension to the right hand of the Father from the Mount of Olives. And lastly, several years later, the resurrected Christ was seen by the Apostle Paul. Beloved, Jesus Christ died on the cross a substitutionary, sacrificial, sin-atoning death under the wrath of God for sinners like us, and He was buried. Three days later, Christ arose. His grave is empty. Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. The Lord Jesus is victorious over sin and death. He is victorious over the grave and hell. He is victorious over the devil and his demons. Jesus accomplished salvation for his people. The elect of God given to him by the Father before time began. He accomplished salvation for us. Beloved Christ and Christ alone has made us the sons and daughters of God. Our God. Our God, the man Jesus of Nazareth, who tasted death for us, 
is seated on the sovereign throne of God's glory, interceding and advocating for us, ruling and reigning the universe that He created, the universe that He redeemed, the universe that He upholds, and the universe that He is coming soon in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. Praise God, Jesus is alive. Now to the exposition specifically of our text this morning. Our second point is this, that Jesus is the resurrected shepherd of his people. In our text, we read of two disciples that have undertaken a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. You've noticed that as they were walking, they were talking. They were very intently discussing Jesus and the events of the last several days. They were sad. They were disappointed. It seems that they considered Jesus to be a prophet, a mighty prophet, but not anything more than that. Cleopas and his friend had fixed their hope on him to be the one to redeem Israel, but their hope had been crushed. Jesus had been rejected by the Jewish leaders and crucified by the Romans. This wasn't been a lot of comfort to Cleopas and his friend, but They both knew that Jesus was not the first prophet of God that had been rejected and killed. There were a lot of them. So they were sad. They were disappointed. Their hope was dead. And so was Jesus. Or was he? Or was he? They went on to say that some women had gone to the grave that very morning and they had returned with an incredible story. Beloved, don't miss this. Don't miss this. The scene that we're about to look at in detail, it occurred during a period of tremendous transition in God's kingdom on earth. In a very compressed amount of time here, everything that we're reading about here today happened on Resurrection Sunday, and it's never going to happen again. So understand that what we're looking at in this text is not normal. It is not normal, but it is formative. It is formative. To say that it's not normal is to simply say that the risen Lord Jesus is not going to appear physically and teach us directly. But to say that it is formative is to say that it is foundational and it sets out principles for what we should expect on this side of the cross. You see, in his interaction with Cleopas and the other disciple, Jesus is showing us the foundational principles of how he, Jesus, will seek and find, lead and feed, and protect his sheep until he comes again. The principles that we observe here for the very first time on this side of the cross are fleshed out in much detail in the book of Acts and the epistles of our New Testament. What does it look like? Well, here it is. In his physical absence, in his physical absence, Jesus calls and equips men to be his under shepherds, pastors in other words. And he empowers them by the Holy Spirit to carry on his work among his people in this world during his physical absence. 
So as we see how the resurrected shepherd cares for Cleopas and the other disciples, it's very informative as to how his under-shepherds, his pastors, should care for his people during his absence. Certainly, we under-shepherds, we pastors, we cannot care for those entrusted to us by Christ with the infinite love, power, and wisdom that belong to the Lord Jesus alone. But beloved, every pastor has the responsibility to care for the sheep that have been entrusted to them in accordance with the principles established by the Lord. And every one of us will stand one day before our Lord and yours and give an account of how we have cared for his people that he has entrusted to us for a little while. It is a heavy responsibility. It is a heavy burden. And no man is sufficient for the task apart from the Spirit of God and the prayer of God's people. We will stand before God and give an account about how we have treated the sheep for whom Christ bled and died and rose. And the sheep of the Lord Jesus, the sheep of the Lord Jesus have every right to expect to be led and fed and protected by their pastors in accordance with the principles that Jesus Christ himself has set forth. Let's look at the text and we'll see six of those. The first one we'll see in verses 13 through 16. Jesus drew near. Jesus drew near to them. That very day as the two of them were walking to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, they were walking and talking to each other, not seeing anything that was going on around them. I inserted that part, paying not much attention to anything that was going on around them. They were just talking intently about these things that had occurred. And while this was going on, notice in verse 15, Jesus himself drew near. Jesus himself drew near. This teaches us that the resurrected shepherd initiates relations with his people. It is the good shepherd. It is Jesus Christ the Lord that initiates relations with his people. Someone has well said that God's love always initiates. God's love never responds. God's love in salvation always initiates. It never responds. It is not free will. It is free grace. It is not merit. It is free grace. It is not anything you know or say or do or don't do or don't say or don't do. It's free grace. Jesus Christ initiated with Cleopas and his friend. He drew near. This is a scriptural principle. We find it in the Old Testament. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 34. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. The Apostle Paul makes a connection to that to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He said, God saved us. And he called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And then Jesus himself had already told him in Luke chapter 19, identifying himself exactly with that principle, he said, for the Son of Man came to seek 
and save the lost. Jesus drew near. The second thing we see in those three verses is this, is that He not only drew near, but He went with them. Jesus drew near and Jesus went with them. This teaches us that Jesus not only initiates the relationship, but He remains with His people and He maintains the relationship. Good news, my friends. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes to the, to the door of your heart and He kicks it down and He turns on the light and He gives you spiritual life and He gives you spiritual light, it's not up to you to get Him to, repain, to remain. Do you understand that? The Lord Jesus Christ kicks down the door. He turns on the light. He moves in. He takes up residence. He lives there. He stays. He remains. The Lord Jesus Christ comes and He remains. He is the one that is primarily responsible to maintain that relationship. You can't run Him out. You can't evict Him. You can't throw Him out. You can't send Him away. He has claimed you as His own. He has shed His blood for you. He has bought you. He remains. And He maintains the relationship. Let me set you free from a burden of legalism this morning. Jesus Christ maintains the relationship that He's established with you. If you have spent your time trying to maintain that relationship, repent! And go to God and accept the very fact, the scriptural fact that God established the relationship, that God remains in relationship, and that God maintains the relationship by His free and sovereign grace. Scriptural principle all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Only authority of the Word of God this morning, beloved, do not fear. It is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. He went with them. He walked with them. You, you understand this. The Lord Jesus Christ knows exactly what it's like to live in a body of flesh and bone just like ours. Matter of fact, He still has one seated on the throne of glory. He came down here and He was tempted in all points just as we are. The author of the Hebrews said, Therefore He, Jesus, had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful, I love that word, a merciful and faithful, that means He's always merciful, a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God for this reason, to make propitiation for the sins of His people. That's our God. That's Jesus of Nazareth right there. The author of Hebrews went on to say in the very next verse, because he himself, Jesus, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then a couple of chapters later we read in Hebrews, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You see, I didn't pick that Old Testament up out of Deuteronomy and apply it to us on this side of the cross. The author of the book of Hebrews did. Jesus initiates. Jesus goes with us. Jesus remains. He dwells in us. And He maintains our relationship. Praise God that He does. The third thing that I noticed from this morning's text is in that several verses from 17 through 24, they teach us that Jesus cares for His sheep. He cares for his sheep. He's not an uncaring shepherd. 
And notice, he listens to his sheep. When he drew near to them, he didn't come preaching and talking. What did he say? He walked up there to them. He drew near. They did not recognize who he was, but he said this to them. He said, what are you guys talking about? And they stood still looking sad. And then he listened to Cleopas. As Cleopas just kind of poured out his heart. I mean, you get that, right? This man was sad. He was dejected. He was desponding. It was written all over his face. And he just poured out his heart to this stranger about what he was so burdened about. Jesus cares for his sheep and so should his pastors. Jesus listened to his sheep and so should his pastors. He is the good shepherd. He said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. You see, we have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he is without sin. Brother Greg, how do you know that he hears us? How do you know that he hears us? The Apostle John tells us in his first letter, he said, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then in Ephesians chapter 3, I love what Paul says. He said that these things that he talked about there in chapter 3, he said, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Beloved, this morning, if you did not come with boldness and access and confidence in your heart toward the Lord Jesus Christ, May the Word of God speak to my heart and yours this morning. We are to come boldly and with confidence to God's throne of mercy and grace. Paul says that we not only speak freely, that's what the word boldness means, that we may speak freely, we have access and we have confidence to approach our risen Lord. He listened to Cleopas. He listens to all of his sheep. He listens to you and he listens to me. He truly is the good shepherd, and he truly does care. Now, I'm afraid that I've got to identify somewhat with Cleopas. I'm sure that many of the times that I go to the Lord and tell him the things on my heart, more often than not, it's out of ignorance. I don't really have a clue about what's going on in the world around me, and I haven't recognized and realized the truth yet from the Scriptures. That's a pretty good description, I think, of where Cleopas and his friend were right here. I mean, face it, they were talking to the Lord Jesus and didn't even know it. He listens, and he corrects. He doesn't condemn. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, but he corrects. You see that in verses 25 and 26. That would be the fourth thing that I would observe from this passage is that Jesus corrects. He corrected them. Look at verse 25 and 26. It was maybe even a not-so-mild rebuke. He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? In verse 25, Jesus, in love, rebuked the disciples for their failure to believe the promise of Scripture. Well, what promise? Well, you can find a lot of them throughout the Old Testament. Surely, if, if Cleopas and his friend were not aware of any other Old Testament Scripture that, that bore on the suffering 
of the Messiah, they would have known Isaiah 53, would they not? Many of us do. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's borne our griefs and sorrows, and he's carried away our sins. He was stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet it was the will of Jehovah to crush him. He poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many. He makes intercession for the transgressors. That's just a paraphrase of a small portion of one chapter that talks about the Messiah of Israel. Cleopas and his friend didn't understand it. Why? Because they were foolish. That word means that they were, no, they were not believing. They were not believing. They, they had not understood. They had not been given light, and they had not been given faith. And then in verse 26, look, Jesus rebuked him again. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, these men had been disciples of Christ. They had, they had made a lot of steps. This was not their initial interaction in all likelihood with the Lord Jesus Christ. They may have been there when he said these words in Luke chapter 9. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Friends, that's a very plain statement that the Lord Jesus had made. He made it to his disciples not less than three times. How many of them got it? Not one. Not one. Not until it was all over and the Lord Jesus had poured out the Spirit of God on them. Then he brought understanding and then he brought those things to remembrance. Maybe a good time to point out that apart from God's Holy Spirit, our approach to the scriptures and our approach to God's eternal truths bear no spiritual fruit in our lives. We are absolutely, totally, completely dependent upon God's grace through His Holy Spirit to give us insight and illumination in His Word. Me, you, the most educated one among us, the least educated one among us, the oldest one among us, the youngest one among us, we are dependent upon God to give us light and to give us insight into the scriptures by his spirit. Jesus listened to them even though they didn't understand what they were saying and had no clue. He rebuked them and corrected them but he didn't stop there. Look at verse 27. He instructed them and beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning to himself. And later in verse 32, they would say to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures. The Lord Jesus Christ took the Old Testament, which were the only scriptures that they had, and he began to open it and he began to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified to Cleopas and the other disciple. In this, the Lord Jesus is affirming that the person and the work of Jesus Christ himself is found throughout the Old Testament. Jesus Christ appears in type and in shadow and in picture and in prophecy throughout the Old Testament. And he preached what may have been here the truly the very first Christian sermon it would have predated Peter on the day of Pentecost. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, opened these things up to these men. 
That's exactly what expositional preaching is. You understand that, yes? Is that you take the Word of God and you open it up, you explain it, you interpret it, you open up the sense of the meaning of the author or any passage of the writing that's here. That's what expositional preaching is. The Lord Jesus Christ systematically and expositionally opened the Old Testament Scriptures to Cleopas and his friend. Wouldn't it be interesting to know what texts the Lord Jesus had selected? I don't know which ones he selected. They had a long way to walk, and I guess it could have been a very long sermon. He could have touched on a lot of different things. But think about this. Just think of, I won't even mention specifically any of them, but the prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. We mentioned uh, Isaiah 53, but there are many, many, many more. But think about, think about the, the types or the pictures or the shadows that speak of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the entire Old Testament. The death of the innocent. Uh, excuse me, the death of the innocent for the guilty in Genesis chapter 3. How about Noah's ark? How about Melchizedek? How about the Passover lamb? How about the manna in the desert? How about the rock in the desert from which the water flowed? Paul said that was exactly Jesus Christ. What about the brazen serpent in the cities of refuge, the tabernacle and the ark of the covenant, the golden candlestick, the brazen offer, the burnt offerings, the mercy seat, Jacob's ladder, and on and on and on. And what about the men in the Old Testament that were clearly... Uh, types of the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam, Abel, Joshua, Joseph, David, on and on and on. It's hard to read the Old Testament for a Christian and not find Christ there. Yea, I would say that it's impossible. The Scriptures are about Christ. This Holy Bible is about Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. This book from Genesis to Revelation, in all of its parts, in all of its pieces, is the panoramic view. It is the mosaic. It is the portrait that God has painted for me and you of the person and the work of Jesus Christ in creation, in redemption, and in judgment. He is the Alpha and He is the Omega. This book is about Jesus Christ. And we will never get that. We will never get that until God, by His free grace, gives it to us. Jesus revealed Himself. He revealed Himself to Cleopas and his friend in an unusual way. Verse 28 says, So they drew near the village to which they were going. And Jesus acted as he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, getting dark, and the day is now far spent, sundown's coming. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their side. I don't know how that happens. But what I can tell you this is this that it seems like nearly every time on this side of the cross when the Lord Jesus Christ showed up, He either appeared or He disappeared or both in a very unusual manner. And one of the things that's being communicated to me about all of that is we can't demand when He shows up and we can't demand when He withdraws the effect that He has in our life at some level. That's another way of saying that we can't control Jesus Christ. But He is the sovereign God of the universe. And He interacts as He chooses to interact. So how did He reveal Himself to these men? I don't have a clue. 
I don't have a clue, but I know this. There was no doubt in their mind in whose presence they had been. And that could only mean one thing. Jesus is alive. Friends, this confirms absolutely the necessity for God in His sovereign grace to grant spiritual life and spiritual light. And as we read on, it indicates the right response of those to whom God grants spiritual life and light. Point three we'd find in verses 32 through 35, and it's this, it's the response of the disciples to the resurrected shepherd. Let me note this before we look at these four verses. That the expositional preaching of scriptural truth, the expositional preaching of scriptural truth empowered by the Spirit of God leads to genuine fellowship among the people of God and it is the fuel for worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Let me say that again. The expositional preaching of scriptural truth empowered by the Spirit of God leads to genuine fellowship Genuine fellowship among the people of God, and this is the fuel for worshiping God in spirit and in truth. In verse 32, we see expositional preaching. There it is. They talked about the Lord Jesus opening the Scriptures to them. Expositional preaching of doctrine from the Word of God accompanied by the power of God is what they're telling us about there. The disciples responded to the expositional preaching of the Scriptures. They discussed and they affirmed that the impact that was the exposition of the Word had had upon them. This is how they described it. They said that their hearts burned within them. Just seems like a reasonable way to describe the fact that it had a significant emotional and spiritual impact on them. Our hearts burned within them. May I be so bold as to say to you this morning, beloved, that if the preaching of the Word of God doesn't cause your heart to burn within you at times, you might need a new preacher or you might need a new heart. The Word of God delivered accurately and in power of His Holy Spirit should impact us intellectually and move down into our emotions and affect our will. Good preaching of God's Word affects us intellectually and emotionally and the things that we do. If the preaching under which you sit has no effect on you, then likely you need a new preacher or you need a new heart. God's purpose will be accomplished when His Word goes forth. Amen? We not only see expositional preaching at the end of this passage, we also see what the real fellowship of the saints looks like. Look with me in verse 33. And they, Cleopas and his friends, rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were uh, with them gathered together. I want you to think about this with me for a minute. These old boys had just made a seven-mile hike in the afternoon and they'd made it all the way to Emmaus. The Lord Jesus revealed Himself to them. He was alive. What was the first thing that burned in their heart to do? To go back and be with their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. I don't know if they'd taken their sandals off or not, but if they had, they strapped them on one more time, and here they went, out into the darkness for a seven-mile march back down Jerusalem with much lighter hearts than they had made their way up. They went there to fellowship with their brothers and sisters in Christ and share the good news that the Lord Jesus Christ was alive. That's real Bible fellowship. 
my brothers and sisters. Real community, real Christian Bible community is based squarely on the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. Real community is based on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And these men hungered for it. Their first reaction to knowing that Jesus Christ was alive was to go and be with their brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. But that's not all that we see. Look in verse 34 and 35. When they got there, this is what they found the disciples saying, The Lord has risen indeed and He's appeared to Simon. They didn't even get to open their mouth when they came through the door until they heard that Jesus is alive and He'd appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road to them and how He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. What we see here is worship. It's the confirmation of the resurrection that they got when they came through the door and they gave absolute independent confirmation of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on that same day. Most certainly that must have led to worship and praise and prayer and thanksgiving to God. The Lord has risen indeed. Expositional preaching, fellowship, and worship. It sounds like the basis for a good little church to start there in Jerusalem, doesn't it? Well, let me conclude and leave you with this. The resurrected shepherd, Jesus Christ our Lord, died for His people. He rose for His people and He lives for His people. Jesus seeks His people and He finds His people and He walks with His people. Jesus speaks to His people and He corrects His people and He instructs His people. Jesus reveals Himself to His people by His Spirit through His Word. It is the responsibility of me and you. It is our responsibility as the sheep of Jesus Christ to place ourselves under the systematic expositional preaching of God's Word. It is our responsibility to participate in fellowship and build biblical community with like-minded brothers and sisters based squarely on the Scriptures and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And it is our responsibility to worship the risen Lord Jesus in spirit and in truth. May, by, may He by His grace enable us to do those things all the days of our lives for the glory of our risen Lord. Our Father, we are grateful and thankful for the blessings that ours are ours in Jesus Christ the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank You that for those of us that know You as Savior this morning, You have drawn near and You have remained with us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you listen to the things that are on our heart. Father, even though oftentimes the things that occupy our heart are not easily understood by us or even significant in the big scheme of our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you that, that you don't condemn us but that you correct us. Thank you for your word and your spirit and the men that you call and equip that you use to instruct us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the preaching of it. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for the fellowship that is here. Lord, we pray that our worship would always be done in spirit and in truth. 
that it would glorify our Lord Jesus and it would be good for our souls. Father, we ask that you'd watch over us now and keep us until we come together again. Amen.